Hey guys, welcome back to Making Room. Today is a date with Kate, meaning that we don't have a guest. We're just going to be hanging out today, and we are going to be talking about charcuterie. So, if we're honest, the last few weeks on the podcast have been really inspiring, really encouraging, but also really heavy. So, we're going to take a little bit of a lighter route today. I'm going to be sharing with you my tips behind charcuterie. None of this is sponsored. All of it is what I personally use and love. We're going to be talking about everything from ingredients, to the stores to go to, the supplies that you need, and everything in between to help you make an effortlessly beautiful charcuterie. Welcome to Making Room, a podcast by Gather Intentional Living and Everyday Hospitality. Listen, we understand that the way that our culture often portrays hospitality is unattainable, and sometimes even just the thought of opening your door is crippling. Join us in the pursuit to bringing beauty, meaning, and celebration back to the everyday gathering. Go ahead, take your seat. We saved one just for you. Okay, well, this is so fun. So I would imagine that most of you guys have been to one of my classes. Um, You've probably heard, you know, a few of my favorite tips that I like to give during that one hour time that we're together. Um, If not, I'm going to kind of backtrack and just brush up on some of the basics for those of you that are new here and haven't been to my table yet. Either way, there's going to be something for beginners and expert designers alike. So Um, I want to start off with a lot of people ask me, how do you actually say the word? You know, so a lot of times we call it a cheese board in Italian cuisine or Italian table culture. They call it an antipast. Um, But let's start here. So I am kind of known to say charcuterie. Um, I don't know if anyone else in the world (laughs) calls it that. For me, it's kind of like a fusion of all the different ways it's pronounced, and I just like put it into one. Um, Now, it stems from the French word. It's a very prevalent um, part of French cuisine, and they pronounce it charcuterie. Very, uh, very French, you know. (laughs) You can listen to it on Google, too, and Google will tell you how to say it. Now, that in the French language is obviously not in English. And so when the word kind of became part of our table culture, people broke it down and called it charcuterie, um, missing quite a few of the like very important sounds. So charcuterie or charcuterie or cheese board, charcuterie, you know what? <laughs> Just take your pick. <laughs> Whatever one um, comes most naturally to you. And hey, if you even end up calling it a cheese board, That's fine with me. The most important part is pulling it together and serving it, okay? So um, if you've been to our classes, you know this. I call charcuterie the building block, the foundation of everyday hospitality. Here is why. So oftentimes when food is intimidating, it's because the technique is really hard, the recipe is really hard, we don't have time, all of these things. Charcuterie is one of those things where you know, really at any given time, you could take things out of the fridge and the pantry and put a board together and gather around it. Or if you need to shop, the ingredients are usually relatively simple to find, easy to put together, don't require any cooking. And hey, all the praise hands go up because that is every host's dream. Now, another beautiful thing about charcuterie is that when you put the board down, people naturally gather around it. We call it a vacuum to any event. I love it because not only 
is it kind of self-serving? Like it kind of runs itself. Uh, guests just know how to interact with it. You don't need to serve. It also is kind of a play, a way to bring people together and people end up talking around it. So it is kind of like a focal point to an event. So for a lot of reasons, we think that charcuterie is kind of a really good place to start. So if you know how to make one of these cheese boards, you could feel a little bit more comfortable inviting people over because you will have had this skill of your sleeve. Now, I know it's a little bit more involved than that because we've seen pictures, guys. We've seen boards where um, people will just put, you know, slices of meat and cheese and crackers. Very, very simple. There's nothing wrong with that. But on the flip side, we've also seen highly curated, highly designed boards, which can come off as intimidating. And I understand. I remember when I first started I'll have to post pictures somewhere. My boards did not look like they did today. And I always felt insecure, which was so bad of me because that's not the goal. Um, but what happened was as I was learning how to create these boards and how to make them just a little bit more beautiful, I realized that it wasn't that hard. I mean, really, it doesn't require going to school. It doesn't require any kind of like specific crazy skill. Um, it's just learning it once and then putting it into practice. That's it. Now, why does design matter with boards? Now, design matters the same way um, we talk about it in every area of our business. Design breeds dignity. So when you take time to put a little bit of extra design, a little bit of extra um, like intention behind what you're doing, your guests receive that in a specific way. And that way is, I really plan for you to be here. I really want you here. Um, I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to stay at my table. So... For all of these reasons, um, we just want to teach you today ways to make the process easy and ways to make it beautiful and uh, different tips along those lines. So I would love to start with um, kind of like the basic supplies. Um, there is an article on our website called Charcuterie Essentials. It's under the blog category and you could see this written out with some links as well. But um, we'll talk about them just for the sake of the podcast today. So the first thing I think every host needs when you're making charcuterie is at least a 15 inch board. Now, people often ask me, how do you know um, how many servings a board makes? Now, I here is my very <laughs> not specific, not technical way of measuring that. I take my hand and I put it kind of in a bear claw. And to me, that represents like one cup of food. Now I take the bear claw, I put it on top of my platter, and I see how many times I could fit the claw across. Typically when you're working with like a 15 by 15 board, that's about like 6 to 10 servings, okay? I find that that size, so as long as my claw fits and I fill it with food, that means to me it's about 6 to 10 servings. I find that that size is the most practical for everyday hospitality. It's very common that you're going to have a group of 6 to 10 people. That's usually your family with a couple guests. You get the picture. Um, you could have bigger boards, but I would never recommend a smaller. So if you're having a date night in with just you and your hubs or whatever, um, go ahead and do a small board. That's fine. But for the sake of design, I find that anything 12 inches or smaller looks too plain. The design is too stark. That 15 inch side is not only per size <laughs> is not only perfect for servings. Um, but it's also perfect for design. The way that the mosaic that we teach comes together is just perfection. And smaller, you really miss it. Now, um, a lot of boards that we sell in our shop 
We try to be very specific in our selection to make sure that it has a nice wax coating or a nice finish that prevents it from staining. However, um, every once in a while we offer a very you know custom board or you guys will have a board in your house that's a little bit more porous. What that means to me is there's not a finish on it. And so if you were to put really juicy blackberries, it could stain. Now, I usually a very nice charcuterie board is not cheap. And they're worth it because the wood is amazing, designs are great, you get it. But we want to protect those as long as possible. So the way that we do that is I ordered off of Amazon, or you could get them anywhere, just these pre-cut sheets of butcher paper. And right before I do my design, I put the butcher paper right on top. I fold it just to fit the inside of the board. Then I design on top of it. So I don't want the parchment paper hanging off. I want it folded just to cover the interior. And then I design. And again, that uh, the main point of that is just to protect it. So you have your 15-ish inch board. You have your butcher paper. And now dip bowls are something that I actually, it's so funny. Like you guys see me use dip bowls and um, people realize so commonly that they don't have their own. So we are in the process of um, designing very specific dip bowls with the size and the shape and everything that I have found to work very well. So those will be in our store hopefully one day soon. But until then, feel free to go to Home Goods, Crate and Barrel, any of the major um, like home goods shops and just get like a four, four inch bowl. You don't necessarily want a cereal bowl because that's huge, but these are going to be perfect for your dips, your spreads and anything marinated. So here's my rule with um, marinated things. We teach a lot of uh, sweet and savory boards where there are both flavors kind of on the same board. Um, when I'm working with an antipasto, an Italian charcuterie, I don't care if all the flavors mix because they're all just going to make each other better. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Can you picture that? But say, for example, I have a board with like olives and marshmallows. If I put both of them on the board, I do not want my marshmallows tasting like olives. So I am going to take that marinated item in that specific board and put them in a bowl. Um, that's how I would use one of the bowls just to keep them separate. Okay, so we have our board, our paper, our bowls, and then our cheese knives. So these are very important, guys, um, because if you are working super hard to have a beautiful bowl and you're working very intentionally on design and then you take out just like a regular fork or a regular knife, it ruins the aesthetic. Now, I always say don't wait for perfection to start serving. So don't let, don't like feel like you have to wait, but I would still call them important. And we call the cheese knives the jewelry or the earrings of the board. So we think that it's important to make sure that the color of cheese knives that you're buying and using is a color that's neutral enough to kind of still let the food shine or complement the food. So in our shop right now, we have these a cheese knife set. It's a set of four. That's very common, three or four pieces. Um, that's gold. And I find that the gold, silver, wood, anything, you know, in that kind of general color tone highlights the food. It doesn't compete with it. Now, I get asked often, how do you use all the different cheese knives? Now, there, I, oh gosh, I should have looked this up before. I think there's like 23 different types of cheese knives <laughs> And I'll just say, hey, you do not need that many. You just need about three or four. <laughs> um, but on the package, uh, when we were picking cheese knives for our shop, I picked this one set specifically because when you buy it, 
and when you open it, there is a guide to using each one. And I also show these in my class. I'm not going to be able to show you as easily today, obviously. But um, if you could picture this, the wider paddle is used for soft cheese, goat cheese, cream cheese, brie. Then there's one with kind of like tongs, almost fork-like, and that's great for slices or cubes. Ones with a blade are for hard cheeses, very sharp cheddar, Parmesan. And then a softer blade would be um, for something like a Gouda um, or like a mozzarella. mozzarella. Um, now, when we're talking about like cheese boards and other things that you can add, you could really have so much fun. But what I would say is the basics is a really good 15-inch board. And if you really want to stock your kitchen well or have some kind of goal in mind, we actually recommend having three different color boards, a white board, a wood board, and a slate board. Each of these colors kind of makes your food look different. So I use them in different purposes to highlight the food in different ways, but at least a 15-inch board to use, um, parchment paper or butcher paper, dip bowls, and cheese knives. Easy enough, right? Then let's start talking about the different elements of the board. So one thing that I love about charcuterie is that it's very easy to accommodate different diets. You could go as far as you could do a keto board, you could do paleo, easily gluten-free and dairy-free, all the things. So let's start by just talking about some of the main ingredients and ways that you can kind of mix this up to feed any crowd. So you might say like, why do I have to accommodate them? Or it's so stressful to accommodate. Now, I just want to make this point, um, especially with charcuterie, you don't have to bake anything. There's no technique. It just requires that you intentionally buy a few ingredients to make your guests comfortable. I always try to encourage hosts, if you care about your guests and they have a dietary need and you want them to stay longer and enjoy the table and not feel itchy, <laughs> doing a few things to kind of go out of your way um, really makes them feel seen and known and will make them stay at your table longer. It'll make them feel like you want them there. So very little things to help with uh, just that intentionality behind your gatherings, you know? Okay, so gluten-free crackers. Um, now, there are a few different types of gluten-free. There is paleo, there is gluten-free, grain-free, all of these different things. So if someone is paleo or grain-free, um, there is a fabulous cracker. It's made with... Uh, Oh my gosh, I was going to say arrowroot. I think it's almond flour. Yeah, it is almond flour. And it's a brand called Simple Mills. Now, I will tell you what. <laughs> we buy Simple Mills. You can get them absolutely anywhere, any grocery store, um, and even at Costco for a bigger, more cost-effective bag. It's going to be a little bit pricier for you. These crackers are unbelievable. So this wouldn't be a good cracker for someone with a nut allergy. But if someone's paleo or gluten-free... Every single person at your gathering would enjoy it. Now, when you're introducing things like a dairy-free or a gluten-free product, I think it's a safe thing to tell your guests that you know need it. Hey, everything on the board is gluten-free. Hey, the dairy-free cheese has a toothpick in it. Things like that. But I would try to avoid making a big deal because oftentimes it could be embarrassing and people just don't know and they're like, ew, the gluten-free thing or ew, the dairy-free cheese, whatever. But the products that I'm telling you about today are so good that I am confident you wouldn't have to make a fuss over it. So Simple Mills crackers, anything from that brand is safe for uh, paleo, gluten-free, and dairy-free diets. Um, so that is actually a really good brand to have up your sleeve. I think the logo is yellow, but if you search Simple Mills, they have a wonderful product line for people eating in this um, dietary 
category. <laughs> then if you're looking for just gluten-free, um, our absolute favorites are Maine Crisp. It's a small business out of Maine that we've been connected with for a while. It's a buckwheat-based cracker. They're fruit-infused, crunchy, nutty, fruity, all the things. <laughs> you can buy them at Whole Foods, but you can also buy them on their website, mainecrisp.com. And this isn't sponsored, but they gave us a code. <laughs> you could use the code GATHER15 for 15% off your purchase. And all of our customers, there was one time where we were delivering kits for our classes, and we would give the customers main crisps. All of them are hooked. It's um, it's another one of those, I'm telling you, just trust a girl. <laughs> it's one of those crackers that um, you just get addicted to, and you could eat the whole bag kind of thing. So... Those are my top picks for gluten-free. I guess one other brand that's very easy to find is a brand called Absolutely, and it's um, always gluten-free. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like my husband, who is not gluten-free, adores them. They make flatbreads. Everything is just so crunchy, so flavorful. Um, you just got to try them and let me know what you think because I know you'll love them even if you don't follow a gluten-free diet. Okay, so cheese is a little bit hard, and I joke about this a lot. I, ironically, am dairy-free. So <laughs> um, here's what I do, and here's what I would recommend for your dairy-free guests. So a lot of times people that eat paleo um, or like plant-based diets won't eat a whole lot of cheese, even substitutes. So I would kind of ask them. But if you are buying cheese for someone that is vegan or straight-up allergic to milk, there is a brand called Vio Life. You find it in the produce section at your local grocery store. It's kind of with like vegan meats and stuff like that. Um, their cheddar, their sliced cheddar, uh, what else do they have? Their feta, it's just very, very good. And you could slice it, cube it the way you would any other cheese on your board, and it's a very easy addition. Now, I like to give this next next suggestion too because a lot of people don't know about it. I find out I found out in my kind of like dairy-free journey that I can tolerate goat milk-based cheeses. Now, places like Trader Joe's make this so dang easy. So at Trader Joe's, they have this whole shelf of all goat milk-based cheeses, and it's the same variety as other cheeses available. So for example, they have a brie, cheddar, gouda. Um, what else do they have? Your typical chev, chevre. Um, there's a lot more than that, but those are my favorite. So I just go to Trader Joe's. I get those, serve them to my guests. And there's something about goat milk-based cheeses. They're so creamy. They're so, so, so good. So I use those even in my cooking, but we're not talking about cooking today. <laughs> but I would say just make sure with your guests that they can tolerate goat milk-based cheeses or maybe they're comfortable with vegan cheeses. But either way, it's very easy to just swap those out and add options, again, to make them feel comfortable and to allow them to really enjoy the board. If you're having a hard time finding those, you can go into any Whole Foods, and their vegan cheese section has expanded greatly. It's huge. There's a huge variety of like spreads and dips and all of those things. If you're having a hard time finding it, you can ask someone in the store and they would be very happy to lead you. I am telling you, there is nothing sweeter to someone that struggles with a dietary restriction than going to a gathering where the guest thought about them, went out of their way, bought something special, because typically it's the experience of people with dietary needs that they have to fend for themselves, bring their own things. And so it's just one of those small things that makes a really big impact. Now, nut allergies comes up a lot, and for those, um, if you really wanted to serve like candied pecans, but you have someone with a nut allergy, you could just serve them off to the side or something very simple like that. 
And for vegetarian, I just recommend that you make any of our boards from any of our classes and just remove the meat and make all of the piles just a little bit bigger. But of course, you guys know there are things like um, vegan pepperonis and salamis. And so if your guest was interested in that, you could try to introduce those as well. Now, when it comes to picking your ingredients and picking your flavors, we recommend that you start with a theme first. So for example, antipast, Italian food. From there, I'd be like, okay, marinated artichokes, mushrooms, eggplant, salami, provolone, mozzarella, parmesan, all those things. What happens is when we don't have a theme in mind, we buy just kind of like whatever looks good and then we try to put it together and it is so chaotic. Not only is it hard to look at aesthetically, but our taste buds don't know what to do with it. The best thing about a graze board or a charcuterie is that you can mix and match and pair. So you really want to make sure that the spreads, the crackers, the cheeses, the meats pair well together so that people can do just that. So I would say start with a theme. So Greek, antipast, sweet, dark chocolate, whatever, apple pie. (laughs) We have a lot of different theme ideas on our website. And then from there, actually pick three different colors that go with that theme. So say, for example, I was doing like a Valentine's board. I could do white, red, and pink or something like that. Um, Or pink, white, and brown with the chocolate. And then from there, I use my theme and the three colors to then buy my ingredients. Now what that does is even if you're not very confident in design or even if you don't have a lot of time to put it together, having the three colors helps it work together seamlessly and it makes it very beautiful because it ends up looking like a mosaic, right? If you've been to our classes, you're probably sick of hearing me say that word, um, but that is that's what happens. So we talked about the supplies for the charcuterie board. We touched very quickly on um, different dietary swaps and ways that you can accommodate different people at the table. And we talked about having a theme and three colors as the forefront. Now, when it comes to traveling with your board, here's what I recommend. If you are making a board for your own house, um, I love flat boards without kind of like lips or siding. Um, We sell a lot of those in our store. Those are perfect for at-home entertaining. So when you're making a charcuterie on one of those, you're going to place the board where you want to serve it, prepare the food right on top, and then hopefully not have to transport it too much so you don't have to worry about things falling off. Um, They are very beautiful when they're left in place and they can kind of shine and make your food stand out. If you need to travel with, um, with one, I'd recommend using a platter with a side. Don't be shy to use platters that you serve other food on, um, like ceramic white platters or things like that that maybe you would serve meat on typically. Any kind of board with a side helps you to transport it easier, even some kind of basket with a parchment paper lining. So when you're at home, you can use a flat board. When you're traveling, use something with a lip. And then here's what I say about saving and um, kind of like eating your board the next day. Like if, for example, you don't finish it all or you want to make it for later. The first thing I want to say is make your board when you have time to enjoy creating it. Don't let yourself hurry like 10 minutes before your guests come. This is such a fun thing, such a beautiful thing, a highlight of an event. Make your board the night before or the morning of a gathering. 
so that you have time to enjoy creating it. Now, make it all the way through, and if you don't know how to make a board, I would love to invite you to attend one of our classes. Um, but either way, make your board start to finish with all of the crunchy elements included. Then what I want you to do is just take the crunchy crackers, anything crunchy off, to leave a very obvious hole. Okay? I, I think you guys could picture that. You're going to wrap it like crazy all the way around with saran wrap. Put it in the refrigerator, and then when it's time to take it out, you're going to cut the parchment or the um, saran wrap open like a book on the top and take the, um, yeah, so you're going to cut it down the middle and you're going to open the saran wrap like a book so that you don't have to unravel it and mix up your whole design. So, what happens, yeah, when you go to unravel it, can you picture that? Everything's falling all over, it's sticking, um, not ideal. And then you just add your crunchy things back in and you serve it. Now, if you need to go somewhere with your board, I would recommend that you use a cooler and you put um, ice packs underneath the board, not on top of it. So many times I've traveled with these boards, I put the ice packs right on top and it squishes the design, it makes the salami look flat, it squishes the cheese, things like that. So put it in a cooler with ice packs on the side and on the bottom and you should you should be good to go. So like I quickly referenced, um, we love teaching this. This is something that um, I think has been really sweet for us to see you guys as hosts realize that you are capable of making these beautiful boards in not a lot of time um, and that you feel comfortable having people over. I love when you take our classes and you show us pictures later of your events and your friends gathering around these boards because really, as much as I love that you learn the art of charcuterie, my hope is that through it, you feel comfortable filling your table and that community is on the other side. So this is just a gateway to deeper relationships and friendships. And what a sweet way to invite the neighbors over, someone new you met at church, someone you've seen at the gym, anything like that. Everyone loves a good cheese board. So if you are looking to take one of these classes, um, you could find all of our public workshops at gatherintentionalliving.com. But you can also take our pre-recorded workshops with three launching every single month at hospitalityacademy.com. And academy is spelt um, with an I-E at the end instead of a Y. And those are all different themes, all different ingredients, all different techniques, and we would love to have you join us at the table there as you grow in confidence as a host. So I hope that this quick date with Kate was helpful today and a little bit inspiring as you plan your charcuterie. Um, and if you have any questions, please don't be shy to reach out. You can DM us on Instagram at Gather Intentional Living. If you love this episode, we would love for you to share it with friends and leave a review for us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Written reviews are incredibly helpful, but even a five star would be great. Last but not least, if you are looking for your own cheese knives or charcuterie board, we would love to invite you to take a look at our collection at homebygather.com. Until next time, send any pictures as you guys create, and I'll see you at the table next week. Have you ever felt that if only I could get a home makeover, I would feel so much more comfortable in my space? Well, listen, I have felt that way too, and I might just have the answer for you. If you are from Connecticut, Coastal Concepts Connecticut would love to work with you. Everything from wood flooring to window treatments and everything in between, they are sure to bring you the upgrade and the beauty that you are looking for to transform your space. 
Their goal is to offer customers with the best products, unrivaled customer support, attention to detail, and all at the best price. Guys, it is all from the comfort of your own home. Listen, if you are interested in reaching out or even calling to ask them a few questions, make sure to let them know that you heard about them from Making Room Podcast by Gather Intentional Living. Do you want to learn more? You could find them at CoastalConceptsConnecticut.com or on Instagram at CoastalConceptsCT.